ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. Okay, this is Books of the Year, and uh, we're back in the groove, and A Terrible Kindness by Joe Browning-Rowe was discussed on a companion podcast to this. Uh, if you look for that, where you found this one, in fact, you may well already have heard it, I don't know, but um, Joe is with us to do our Q&A. Joe Browning-Rowe, here we go. What was the last book you really, really enjoyed? I've mentioned this before, but the second really is is actually really important. It's not just a book that you enjoyed. You know, this is something which, in your opinion, is a humdinger. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it is a book called All My Mothers by Joanna Glenn. The premise of the story is that a, young, a girl from a very early age feels that she just doesn't belong in the home and family that she's living in. Um, there are no baby photographs. She gets very evasive answers about her early childhood. Um, and she has strange memory flashes of being in a much warmer people place than the London home in which she lives with her physically absent father and emotionally absent mother. And so the story is her on her quest as she gets older to try and find this out, what, what what's her story. And it takes her to Cordoba in Spain, which I didn't know about in my ignorance. So there's this amazing um, cathedral mosque in Cordoba that was, during one period in history, happily worshipped in by Muslims and Christians together. Um, and and it's so it was amazing evocation of place. And I am going there as soon as it's, you know, as soon as it's easier to travel, that's where I'm going. Um, but also the wisdom and compassion of the story had me absolutely sobbing, which is very rare for me. It was the this sort of reflection on the inevitable flaws of, of parenting and motherhood. And yet the sort of, yeah, that that we have different phases in our relationships with our with our parents and they can be good and awful and it can get better. And it, it's hard to summarise, but it's a beautiful, beautiful book. I also do want to say um, Hamlet by Maggie O'Farrell also, both of them. Mm. Ma- amazing. No, I love Maggie's book. That's excellent. Um, is there a book, Joe, that you would love to step inside of, even if it was just for a day? Because obviously most books, there's there's bad things happening, so you wouldn't want to be there the whole time. Yeah. But is there a book you'd like to just, just step inside of and then be able to come straight back out again? Yes, and, and with the proviso, I think more 12 hours than 24 even. But I would love to step inside the world of Piranesi. So Zutana Clark's extraordinary novel that won the Women's Prize, where it's this, it's called a house, but it's not like any house we know. It's a vast, 
It's so vast, it has tidal waters coming in out of it. It has hall upon hall of these classical statues. And she's done such a great job. And I was so enthralled. I hadn't a clue what was going on, but I just loved it. So to go there for a bit and to hang out with the sort of the, the Pyrenees, the main character, this sort of naive but intelligent knowledgeable but ignorant person who just you know I, I would love to go there but only for 12 hours <laughs> <laughs> how long do you give a book joe or will you always finish it and we learned in our uh, in our other uh, conversation with you that not only are you uh, a writer but you used to be an editor i don't know whether that gives you an innate whether you tend to be more forgiving or whether that makes you tougher as a reader how long would you give a book typically i i generally finish books that i start but having said that, I I don't pick up books unless I'm fairly confident that they're good and that people have have given them, you know, a, a really good um, reviews or comments. Um, when I, I started to read Overstory and I was very busy and I knew I wasn't connecting with it, but I also knew this is a really amazing, important book. So I put it aside and then I came back to it. And then similarly, I felt that Annie Proulx's Bark Skins was a companion piece to that. It's about deforestation, the history of it in Canada. And oh my gosh, that's dense and long. And I I didn't find every page um, easy, but I did stick with it. And I think I have quite good stamina with books and I don't have to love every page to feel to feel it's worth my while. Um, so I don't often abandon them. I must say, I did read Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Tall because people say it's a classic. And I got to the very end of that and I thought I've never, I have not yet found what people like about this book. <laughs> I can say it because he's dead. But, wow. but yeah, normally I think I read books that I, I'm pretty confident I'm going to find worthwhile. Are there any books, Joe, that stand out to you um, from your childhood? Yes, very much so. I My family wasn't particularly bookish, but when I was 10, um, and I know that's how old I was because of the bedroom I was in, I had flu and I had a temperature. And I had a book from the library and it was Eight Days of Luke by Diana Wynne-Jones. And it's an extraordinary fantasy novel um, about how sort of, it's like um, Nordic mythology sort of breaking into our world. And I had no idea what was going on on one level, but it, that was the first time for me when I was utterly transported and the the world I was reading about was more real to me than the room I was in and I think once you've had that experience you never forget it and I've had friends who's uh, who've been worried that their children don't read enough or aren't reading the sort of books they want and I always used to say to them that, that as long as they've had a book that transports them and they know that that's what's possible in a good book they'll be fine. Is there uh, Joe, a, a hidden gem of a place where you do lots of your Research? Can you do research anywhere? What are, what are your um, secrets? Well, it, I do actually, I absolutely have a gem of a place, but it's not a hidden gem. So I hope I can still talk about it. Um, it's the University Library in Cambridge. Um, an ama amazing building anyway, designed by um, Giles Gilbert Scott, who did Tate Modern, Battersea Power Station and the Red Telephone Box. So it's a great building, but it's one of the six legal deposit libraries in the country. So it's it, it, so between them, these, these legal deposit libraries have everything, um, digital and print, that is published in the UK so that they can be kept safe and, and kept available for people. And in Cambridge, they have... They, they have um, much more, you can access that collection more easily. And there are these elves in the library, and they're called fetchers. And you can literally fill a form in for anything you want, and they can go and get it for you. And um, that's where um, many years ago, um, I was, for reasons I won't go into now, um, I requested the 1967 conference papers 
for the Federal of Burial and Cremation Authorities. <laughs> and when I was reading what I wow. was looking for, you know, so that it was just a, like a conference paper thing, but they found it. It was just amazing. And that's where I unexpectedly found the account of the embalms of Great Britain going to Aberfan, which was what my novel turned into. Yeah. So I'm very grateful to the yeah. University yes. Library. Yes. Excellent, excellent. Um, is there a book that um, that has scurred you? Well, I'm going to say scurred you witless. <laughs> I I I really enjoy books that uh, that that sort of provoke that sort of visceral response in you. That you're you you're like I'm not going to read this when it gets dark. I'm not going to read this when I'm alone. Is is there any book that you that, that would that would tick those boxes for you? Well, I never seek out books that were going to scare me. It, it, fear isn't something I'm looking for in my reading experience. I want companionship um, <laughs> rather than fear. Um, same with films. I would never go to a scary film. So we're different, Matt. <laughs> but I did write a dissertation when I was at university on the works of Alan Garner. And I was working on it late at night, reading lots of passages in different books. And there was a loud noise outside. And I... I honestly I went a feet foot off my chair and I realized how incredibly on edge I was reading this and similarly um, more recently I interviewed Francis Harding who's an amazing children's and YA writer and I was reading the cuckoo song and that absolutely freaked me out so um yeah it involves a doll that suddenly starts talking and it was just yeah horrific but what I'd be like reading something written for adults I dread to think <laughs> On the brighter side of things, is there a book that always cheers you up? I don't know, maybe you would go, uh, you would turn to if you uh, needed a bit of brightness. Well, um, whenever I go on holiday, I always take a David Sedaris because I just chuckle my way through from the first mm. paragraph to the end and it gets cumulative. The more I laugh, the more, you know, and I, I can just be, you know, full on laughing on the beach with him. So I love him. But in terms of a book I return to, it would be A Prayer for Own Meanie by John Irving, because I, I'm always, and I'm, I'm reading it now actually back up for the, about the fifth time. And I'm always so happy to be back in that world and to be back with this, this character who feels like my friend. Um, so yeah, the prayer for Owen Meany. Now we've got we've got one more question, Joe, which wasn't uh, I don't think you've been able to prepare for, but I think you'll be able to give us an answer very easily anyway. And that is, how many books do you do you tend to read a month? This came from uh, one of our listeners who, who's intrigued to know uh, how many uh, our sort of writers tend to get through. Yeah. And maybe it, it it depends on the time of year or whatever. But but how many do you tend to get through a month? Yeah, yeah. So it would depend a bit, but I would say I probably read seven or eight a month. Wow! Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, putting us all putting us all to shame. I think we managed. Like I think we we're reading about one a week, but yeah. you're you're certainly faster than all yeah. of us. Do you and and is that as a gift though, isn't it, Joe? Reading you must have the ability to read fast. Do you skim read or are you just a no? Fast I reader? I think no. I I do I do read every word, but I am quite fast. Um, yeah, yeah. And are you faster because you because that's your job? Possibly, yeah. Or was it a skill you always? No, possibly. Well, um, I'm not. I don't remember being a particularly fast reader as a child. So I think it was something I've I've learnt. Yeah, sort of twelve years as an editor and and um, and just being busy. So yeah, but but I don't I don't feel hurried. You know, when I'm reading a book, I'm not feeling I've got to race through it. I just you know I just keep going. I read I read at least for an hour every night in the bath. That helps. 
And then when my um, my younger daughter came back to live with us after eight years of being away, she came back during lockdown and she introduced me to the thing of setting the alarm early in the morning, going down and getting a coffee and then reading in bed for an hour as well. So I don't do that every day, but I do do it a lot more than I did. So you've got these lovely bookends. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the final question, which is also not on the list, but as someone who has interviewed authors a lot over many, many years, how easy is it being on the other end of this whole process where you've actually got to come up with the answers? Yes, it's. Um, it, I think maybe it's a little easier because I've been on the other side of it for a lot, but then, then it feels uh, the responsibility is much greater because I'm always conscious when I'm interviewing, this isn't about me, this isn't about me, and suddenly it is about me, and that feels a little bit strange. Yeah. Well, it was great to speak to you, Joe. Thank you very much indeed. Joe's book is uh, A Terrible Kindness. It's Joe Browning Rowe. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. And if you want to hear Joe talking about the book, uh, you can find that podcast, same place that you got this one. Joe, thank you very much. Thank you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have many episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Acast.com.